Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Three changes at the top of the table in 24 hours. It could only be a Premier League title race. Leicester were leapfrogged by Manchester City last night as they beat Aston Villa by two goals to nil before Manchester United then reached the summit ahead of the Cross City rivals with Paul Pogba's special strike enough to win at Fulham. Reigning champions Liverpool aren't out of it by any stretch either. They take on a testing Burnley side tonight at Anfield as this mad Premier League season continues to keep us gripped. Title races and transfers are on everyone's mind and with 10 days left to go to window, plenty of gossip and even some done deals to go through on today's show. I'm Niall, this is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast bringing you news and views from the English top flight every single day of the season. On the show today, we've got Marley Anderson. All right, Marley? Good morning. How are we doing? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. And we've also got former Dundee United slide tackler, John Paul Hughes. How are you doing, JP? <laughs> morning, gentlemen. Were you, a, were you a slide tackling midfielder, JP, or were you more cultured than that? As well as cultured as you can be in Dundee. Um, that's, uh, <laughs> uh, I feel like the yeah. bar's very low there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, I like to uh, I like to try and come off the, the, the pitch without my, my socks getting dirty. You know what I mean? I was one of those midfield players. Well, the conditions last night at the Etihad Stadium probably wouldn't have suited you in that case then because it was blowing a gale. It was absolutely teeming down. Storm Christoph has swept the northwest of England and uh, it's been raining non-stop in Manchester for about 72 hours it even snowed last night the conditions were miserable um it was probably a more miserable evening for Aston Villa than they would have hoped for because Manchester City did get the job done and temporarily went top of the Premier League table with a 2-0 victory at home against Dean Smith's side the one thing that I noticed about this game Marley is that the first hour of the game or maybe not quite that much the ball just would not go in the back of the net for Manchester City Aston Villa had their moments crossbars were hit goalmouth scrambles were had it was like a touch of the old school it was a it was a crazy opening period yeah I think um you know it's it's strange for me to watch a a nil-nil sort of hour of football without being utterly bored and wanting to throw things through the window but um it was it was one of the most entertaining matches um certainly of the season that that was had no goals after what was it 60 70 odd minutes that the first one finally went in but I think it was 80th or 79th minute was it Bernardo Silva scored I didn't realize how late it was um but yeah I mean it was a good game two teams wanting to play you know Villa were were brave they tried to to cause City problems when they could and hit on the counter attack and they nearly scored one of the uh the best goals I've seen in a long time when uh, Bertrand Chiori managed to uh, put De Bruyne mm. on his bone with that first touch from uh, Martinez's goal kick, which would would have been something else if that went in, but obviously it didn't. Um, and yeah, it was just uh, it's kind of summed up how Villa were trying to play the game. You know, they weren't afraid to to have a go, um, and that's refreshing when you see a lot of teams play at City. They get overawed and they don't like to to uh, overextend themselves in case in fear of getting picked off and things like that. But 
um, yeah, it, it nearly worked for them last night, and obviously the the call changed the game that, that I'm sure we're gonna we're gonna talk about. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's um, unlucky for Villa. Um, bad news for Newcastle because they've got new, uh, Villa on on Saturday, um, and Villa looked very good last night. So another uh, another mm. miserable me coming in next week on the podcast, but. Yeah, <laughs> decent game to watch. It, it was. And as you say, Marley, Villa were absolutely fuming about Manchester City's opener. It was Bernardo Silva who scored it in the 79th minute, his first goal of the Premier League season. It was a great finish. Let's not take anything away from the finish. It was a really good strike from Bernardo. The issue that Aston Villa had, JP, was that uh, someone came back from an offside position to put Tyrone Mings under pressure, or allegedly an offside position, and kind of nicked the ball from between his legs, dispossessed him, and then set... City away right in the final third and then it resulted in the opening goal. A uh, Villa got a case here. Um, they can surely feel hard done by. I, if I was Tyrone Mings, looking back at the footage, I would be equally annoyed and it actually resulted in the manager, Dean Smith, getting sent off uh, by referee John Moss and sent up to the stands or down into the changing rooms for the rest of the game because he was so annoyed about it. If I was Tyrone Mings, I'd still be sitting in the pitch just now with my legs and arms folded, refusing to, <laughs> refusing pa- to remove. Paolo <laughs> De Cano style. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Until that decision was overturned. Um, you know, you, you probably need to get the beat button ready, but what a load of b****s, man. Um, mm. it, it, it really is nonsense. I've mentioned this in the podcast before. I'm a big fan of the NFL, um, and I've watched the NFL for years. And, and there are very often uh, situations where something happens, a game gets stopped, and you're just watching, going, "I don't know what's going on here. I don't know why this rule is happening." Even though the referees are trying to explain it, this makes no sense to me at all. And I think, well, <laughs> as far as offside certainly goes, we're, we're in danger of getting into that territory. Um, mm. That that's offside. There's no two ways about it, man. That 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 should have just been called straight away, game done, and, and then it goes on. So. Um, Villa justifiably feeling very, very hard done to, and I think uh, a few choice words from the gaffer got him sent to the stand. Um, I was trying to lip read what he was saying and couldn't quite see it, um, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure uh, if I was in his shoes, uh, he'd have been able to make out what I was saying to the referee for sure. Seeing as I've already got the bleep button ready, <laughs> JP, do you want to give it a go? See what you think he might have said? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you would actually need to put this podcast out at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> very good um, I tell you what it does show how angry Dean Smith was Marley because he doesn't seem like the sort of character that would throw his toys out of the pram about any old decision he's actually quite a calm and rational character at least from what I've seen of him in the Premier League and a little bit of Brentford before that um, over the last few seasons he's very composed in his post-match interviews to see him sent to the stands his Villa side as you say played really well last night so understandably he was frustrated yeah um, and he also I think he came out with one of the best uh lines to a fourth official I've heard in a while or a referee or whoever it was saying did you get juggling balls mm-hmm. for Christmas which I simply didn't understand <laughs> but also you know it was still funny um, especially getting two yellow cards in such quick succession I'd love to know specifically what John Moss thought well that's too far like you know you, know, you can imagine uh, Dean Smith going yeah well it's a crap decision and he goes right yellow card and then he walks away and he says did you get juggling balls for Christmas and Moss just turns around and goes too far Dean too far right I, I, I quite like the, I quite like the idea that the that, that John Moss the referee is, is, is a really traumatic childhood memory of a clown terrifying <laughs> and the mention of those balls is just what tipped him over the edge well John John Moss is actually he owns a record shop called the Vinyl oh, yeah. Whistle and I'm just hoping oh, that man. Dean Smith said your record collection oh and then he's, he just <laughs> lost his head that. and sent him off um, obviously we all think here at Football Social Daily that that was an offside and Villa have been hard done by for Manchester City's opener if you have a differing opinion why not let us know on social media at the Sports Socials our Twitter account you can find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official and if you're using Facebook you just need to tap into the search bar Sports Social and you'll find our page and let us know what you think send us a little DM and we might even discuss it further on the podcast what it does show though JP is that Villa are definitely capable. Marley touched upon it, that they looked very good last night. I would agree. They're definitely capable, I think, of securing a Europa League spot this season. They've got those games in hand because of postponed matches due to coronavirus amongst their ranks. And I think they can feel confident, even though they lost 2-0 last night, they can feel confident that they do have it within them to, to finish well this season. 
I, I, I warm to Villa every time I watch them. I, I, I seem to like them more and more every time uh, they, they take to the field. I think they've got a great attitude. They play with a freedom. They've obviously got some serious talent in the ranks. Um, there's a Scottish connection there uh, that, uh, that is always good to see as well with, with John McGinn, who always says he's got a backside like a, a dinner lady at school. Um, <laughs> and uh, I wonder how he gets around the football pitch, but he's a marvel. And, uh, and I really like Villa. And I think you're right. I think what, uh, as a Villa supporter now, I'd be looking to to try and get one of those uh, Europa League spots and really consolidate themselves as a a, a top eight, top ten Premier League team for years to come. Mm-hmm. I, I, I enjoy watching them every single time they're on TV. I think their signings will be key moving forward as well. They are interested in a couple of players in this transfer window. One of them is Marseille's Morgan Sanson. We'll talk about that a little bit later on on Football Social Daily. But back to the game at the Etihad. And from a Manchester City perspective, another win for them. At the time, Marley, it took them top of the Premier League table. We'll talk about Fulham against Manchester United shortly. But City did all they could do. They got the job done against a tough Villa side. Um, even when the ball didn't look like it was going to find its way into the back of the net, they did eventually manage to grind out something. It was a moment of quality from Bernardo, regardless of whether you think it was offside or not. The fact that he's picked up the ball on his left boot and smashed it into the far corner, th- that shows the quality that Manchester City have, have got. Is that their differential, do you think? between the other sides in the title race, that they do have players who can just conjure up moments of brilliance from nothing. I think of Sergio Aguero, who hasn't scored a Premier League goal in over a year now, or it's a year today since he last scored a Premier League goal, which is a remarkable statistic. I know that coronavirus has been around and the league's been slightly different and he's had injuries and stuff, but for a player of that quality not to score for that long is incredible. Gabriel Jesus has gone off the boil, but they still have these top-class players in the City ranks that are able to just to pull a magic moment out of their backside. Yeah, I think... Um, I, I can't remember the last time a City striker scored a goal. Um, I can't, like, it was obviously the one... The last time Jesus scored a goal, but I can't remember when that was. I think it was at least four, five, six games ago, whatever it is. So... Um, they're chipping in from all all places. You know, Stones getting two. Well, he's got three this year, hasn't he? So far, um, Gundogan's chipped in with a few. De Bruyne, Sterling, Bernardo. They've always got players that can hurt you. Um, and if it's not going their way, they can get a, a dodgy, dodgy offside decision um, or VAR decision. But obviously, it is the rule that that rule last night. Uh, we should say that it's not VAR's issue. Um, it's it's the rule of the Premier League, and as much as it's not against the rules, it you would be gutted if that result, uh, if that decision was was made against you. So, you know, I've seen, seen a lot of City fans all over social media saying them's the rules and blah blah blah. But you know, if that if that was a if that uh, had happened in a Man United Man City game and it was affecting the sort of title races in the top two, they'd be they'd be fuming that that decision went against them because. Rodri clearly does gain an advantage from being in the position he's in. Um and yeah, I mean, technically it's not offside, but you'd still it still doesn't stop it hurting when that type of thing goes against you because we've never seen it before. Um and anyone who's watching um the Italian um game last night between Juventus and Napoli, the exact same thing happened in that game. Um, where Ronaldo was behind a defender. Mm. The defender controlled it. Ronaldo nicked it off him straight away. It was blown up for offside. Um, so it just it just kind <laughs> I of... I never trust Italian assistant referees, though, because they look so <laughs> casual, don't they, when they put the flag up? <laughs> never. A cigarette in one hand and a corner flag. Uh, Espresso. Yeah, flag in the other. But, you know, it just... it. If anything, I'm you know, I'm not saying it's, it's a concrete thing, but it's just saying how dodgy it is all... Um, across the board, you know, you, we know for a fact that something's going to happen later in the league where that decision doesn't get repeated again. But um, if it wasn't hard enough, you know, uh, stopping Man City, you getting uh, getting calls like that doesn't uh, doesn't exactly help. But yeah, they're getting they're getting mm. plenty of goals from everywhere. They don't really need a striker as it as it were because they're not struggling to find the net without one. So. Only uh, with Aguero coming back in, I think he's only um, a week away from fitness. So I think it'll just make them even stronger when he does come back. Just finally then, JP, on this game, I saw some City fans last night on social media say that they feel like they've got a bit of swagger back as a fan base. They feel like they could beat anyone who gets put in front of them right now. Although the performances aren't vintage. And when I say vintage, I mean the electric cutthroat City we saw from a couple of seasons ago that got 100 points and then 98 points. 
they're not playing quite like that, but they've got this air of swagger about them again now where you can understand why the fans feel like they could possibly be anyone who next steps into their path. I tend to agree. I think it was a really big win. Um, there's a long way to go, um, and, and, and it's certainly not a win that uh, that makes them favourites in my eyes. But I think dropping points last night would have been really crucial. It would have been a massive loss of momentum for them. I think they've probably lost a bit of belief and confidence in themselves. Um, but to turn that round and key and, and and really cut through the key moments when it was required, um, I can see why there's a, there's a bit of belief starting to build across uh, across the, the the city support. Yeah, well, Manchester City went top of the Premier League last night with a 2-0 victory over Aston Villa, but it wasn't for too long because their cross-city rivals, Manchester United, managed to beat Fulham and go top themselves. We'll talk about that game next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, the podcast from Sports Social, your daily lockdown listen when it comes to top flight action, news, views and analysis every single day of the season. So hit subscribe and that way you won't ever miss an episode of the show again. I'm Niall, I've got JP Hughes and Marley Anderson with me. Time to discuss the other game that took place last night in the top flight. We've already talked about Manchester City's win over Aston Villa. Now it's time for Manchester United's trip to West London where they took on Fulham at Craven Cottage and managed to secure a two-goal Goals to one victory. I tell you what, Marley, this reminded me of a Sir Alex Ferguson Manchester United performance. Not so much in it was a carbon copy, just in the sense that it was a tight game for a large period. But someone, in this case Paul Pogba, just pulled a bit of magic out to win the game. And you know, we always talked about Fergie time back in the day and how Manchester United would always find a way to win games. This felt a little bit like that. It, it was a close game and we should give Fulham credit for that. Uh, but this is the Manchester United of old. This is in the DNA of Manchester United, some would say, to win games even when they aren't at their best. Well, you sound, you sound a bit like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer there with the uh, the DNA of Manchester United. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, not, not, I'm not really surprised. I mean, didn't we say yesterday on the podcast it wasn't as easy a game as it looked on, um, you know, second in the league for mm. going into it versus 18th in the league or whatever it was. And, you know, Fulham can play and they proved that um, last night. I think it was a tough workout for Man United. And earlier in the season, Man United would not have won that game. In the first 10 games of the season, there's no chance Man United would have won. It would have ended a draw. Um, they just weren't grinding out to, uh, results like they did last night. And, you know, having a poacher in there like Cavani who can nick you a goal out of nothing, like, um, cross comes into the box and the goalkeeper spills it and you know your, your 33 year old centre forward who's been around the game for 15 years banging in goals left right and centre he's the, he's right in the right spot to just jab it in before the goalie can recover it um, and it's those type of goals and things that are just massively important I think um, and then obviously you get the, um, the the tight game and it's looking like it's heading for a draw and then Pogba just comes up with a, a 25 yard left foot peach um, and yeah, you win the game, and it's just it reflects the mood around Man United now. I think if um, if things weren't going so well, that'd have flew wide, um, ended up in the stand. But everything's sort of ticking along nicely at Man United at the minute. They they're grinding out results. They're getting um, they're keeping the um, themselves in front in the title race. And when you get Pogba turning up and putting in a good performance like he did last night, and and you know really standing out in midfield and then capping it off with with an absolute stunner like that is um, is just a perfect reflection of where Man United are right now, I think. Yeah, it was a really sweet left-footed strike from Paul Pogba. And I thought what was really interesting, JP, was watching his head movement and his eyes to see what he was actually intending to do. No doubt when he took the strike, he was intended to whip it in that far mm. corner. But it almost looked like he was eyeing up a cross or a pass or a lob to a teammate. And in the end, he didn't even really, it seemed to me, take a look at goal. He just kind of knew where it was and instinctively pulled the trigger. And that's the sort of quality that we know Paul Pogba possesses, but we just haven't seen often enough in a Manchester United shirt. Paul Pogba doing Paul Pogba things, isn't it? It's, uh, and it always makes for uh, for entertaining viewing. He, he's, he definitely has... I, I think there's something about Pogba at the moment. I know we talked about belief earlier, but for me, it seems to be that he has parked his ego a, a, a little bit. 
when he puts his ego to the side and puts the team in uh, first and he combines a, a tremendous work ethic with his natural athleticism and the ability that he has you've got a you've got a you've got a match winner you've got the kind of person who can create moments as he did last night that could prove to be one of those moments in the season United look back on and say that's where it all turned um, now, do I think United will go on to win the title? Probably not. But if they do, I think Pogba's goal last night would be one of the moments to look back on and say this is where, things, where they really started to believe it and, uh, and things turned around for them. He's played really well in recent weeks, Marley. Even just before Christmas or at the start of December, I remember something similar where he picked up the ball in the middle of the park against West Ham and smashed a long-range effort in against West Ham. He did it against Burnley, the only goal of the game the other night, and he's done it again against Fulham. Why is it that he's playing so well? JP says that it's because he's left his ego to one side. Uh, I mean, my thought process is that maybe because Manchester United are on top and they've got confidence as a squad, he seems to be performing better, whereas for the majority of the time that he's been at Old Trafford, Manchester United have been not as good basically they've they've been chasing the top four playing in the Europa League rather than knocking around at the top end of the league which is probably where he feels he should be playing yeah I think um I've I've kind of got two uh two reasons why I think Pogba's playing as he is I think one is it's more cynical than the other so I'll start with that one and the cynical one is it's January and mm-hmm. Raul has been saying all that crap about him you know, wanting to leave again and blah, blah, blah. And he's probably had a word with Pogba and said, use this six months as um, a chance to show what you can do because Real Madrid, you know, PSG, Juventus, they're not going to buy you the way you're playing at the minute. So you need to prove, you need to rediscover your France form of, of um, I think it's Euro 2016 when he just bossed the entire tournament and the World Cup 2018 as well, he was great. Um, so maybe it's uh, maybe it's something like that. Um, and he's sort of using it as an audition and to, to put himself in the window a little bit. Um, secondly, I think the more, probably more logical uh, view is that um, I think he's kind of a mood player. Like when everything's going well, he's he's up there and he's like, I'm the main man, great. But sometimes when, you, when you've got that talent, the frustration is that you come, you don't come through when it's when it's not going as well. Um, so when Man United in the first ten games of the season, he was pretty much a passenger. You know when they were they were drawing, they were, um, you know, dropping silly points here and there. They couldn't break down anyone, and he wasn't stepping up. And now I think when everything's going a bit better, he's one of them that just he sort of follows the mood of where the club is. If the club's not doing so well, he he tends to be, you know, putting in five, four, five out of ten performances. Um, but when the team's playing well in the top of the league and they're picking up points. He's um he's taking games by the scruff of the neck. He he scored that well three goals that are all been world class goals against um, West Ham and then last night and then I suppose the one against Burnley wasn't quite world class but still very good from outside the box. Ended the game um, in a positive way for Man United and it's it just tends to sort of follow how things are. I think. Um, the frustration is that consistency, and it always has been. It probably always will be with Pogba, but mm. at the minute everything's fine. So he's he's an asset rather than a, a virus, as he's been called in the past. <laughs> Less virus chat. I've had enough virus chat over the last <laughs> few weeks. Um, I tell you what has been interesting, JP, is the praise that Oligan Solskjaer has had in recent games for the way he's utilised his matchday squad, the way he's rotated things. And they do have a deep squad, Manchester United. They have a hell of a lot of players. Uh, And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, his job as manager is to make sure that he does rotate correctly and at the right times and ensures that he does use the squad to its full potential. There were question marks last night over whether Bruno Fernandes should have been rested. And it, if it was a tailor-made fixture for Donny van der Beek to get some game time. But Solskjaer, I think he's shown in recent games that he knows what he's doing when it comes to squad depth. Of course, being someone who made a name as a super sub, he probably understands it better than most. I think that's a great point. Um, I remember when, when he was a player and, and Ferguson used to talk about when, when Solskjaer was on the bench and the reason he would make such a, an impact when he came on, he said... He says, I'll look at my substitutes and, and however many there were back in that day, five or whatever it was, um, and they'll be, they're not really paying attention. They might be warming up, they might be chatting to each other, they might be doing other things. He says, but Ollie was always locked on the game. Doesn't matter if he was on the bench for 85 or 88 minutes, 
He studied the match for 85 to 88 minutes so that he knew when he had two minutes to come on where he had to be to make that impact, which he did so often, so famously. So I think that's a really good point. I, th I think he's, I think he's well qualified to know how to uh, how to make an impact in a match with, with, with half an hour, 20 minutes to go. Um, I think he probably understands his squad and his players a bit better now, mm. uh, and and you know they, they do say you learn a lot more from uh, from mistakes than from getting things right, and he certainly made plenty of those in his time. So maybe maybe he is he's just developing and, and learning really quickly. He's learning from the mistakes he's made. In truth, they should probably have won you know maybe more handsomely last night, uh, and uh, even though Fulham did play well, but uh, another thing I think that that. No football fan, no football manager, no football player likes to admit sometimes you need a wee bit of luck. And I think Solskjaer, he went through a period where he wasn't having any. And then you see a moment last night. Um, granted, United were the better team. There's no two ways about it that they deserve to win. But for the goal that he dropped the ball at, 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 uh, at that moment at your striker's feet, those little moments of luck, don't get me wrong, you need to take advantage of those. It's important that when luck comes your way, you're in a position to exploit it and, and United were and did well but there's just little bits that are starting to fall into place for Ollie that weren't happening before as well so I think a combination of all those I think he, he understands how a game can change and how you can impact a game with half an hour 20 minutes even 10 minutes to go uh, I think he understands his squad better and I think he is uh, he's getting a few wee breaks that he wasn't getting earlier in the season yeah, I, I definitely think that that's something to keep an eye on, the rotation for Manchester United. And I think we might see some outgoings between now and the end of the transfer window, which is, of course, the next 10 days. But I think they're just players that are surplus to requirements. So interesting to see how things go for Manchester United. From a Fulham perspective, Marley, they've got a massive game next up in the Premier League. Of course, we'll talk about it in our preview podcast later on this week. But Brighton next up, two sides, not quite neck and neck, but certainly... Brighton are, are close to the bottom three and if Fulham can get a result there that's a huge boost for them yeah I think um, it's it's tight down there um, and we're in that weird situation where a few of the teams aren't playing that badly um, Fulham are playing well as I've said yesterday and, and again today Brighton picked up a win last time Burnley are looking more solid than they ever have been this season um, and then just above them you've got the absolute shower of shite that is Newcastle but um <laughs> Fulham, Fulham, Brighton would be be a good game. I think um, Fulham are, are in a vein of form where they'll fancy that game uh, massively, and it'll be a real boost to them because they'll be, I think they'll be one point behind uh, Burnley if they uh, if they win that game. But Parker's got them playing some nice mm. football. They look um, they look like they're going to score goals, even though they've been playing without Mitrovic for most of uh, most of this run of, of I think it was five draws and a and a defeat last night, but. Um, he's coming back into it now, so now they've got another another threat, another way of playing, and uh, yeah, it's it's good to see Parker actually getting some something out of that squad because you know last time they came up, signed a load of players, and went straight back down with a whimper, um, and then a lot of people said, you know, have they done that again? And uh, he's starting to prove that possibly not. Mm, well, as soon as you said that Fulham might fancy it against Brighton, a ray of sunshine actually came streaming through the window. That's the first sun I've seen in four days. So maybe it's <laughs> a sign that Fulham do have it in them uh, to take on Brighton at the weekend and get the maximum allocation of points. Uh, one side who will be absolutely desperate to get a full three points tonight is Liverpool. They take on Burnley at Anfield. Of course, we can talk about home games for Liverpool in the Premier League and their unbeaten record. I think that's strangely by the by now, JP, just purely because they need to win not to preserve the record, but to keep pace with those at the top of the Premier League table. After drawing 0-0 with Manchester United on Sunday, they ended up dropping to fourth. They've seen Leicester go top. They've seen City go top. United have gone back top after last night's results. They've got to win against Burnley. They do. Um, and I think even for, we've talked about this a couple of times uh, today, uh, about belief and confidence and momentum. And uh, I think Liverpool are in need of, uh, they need to give somebody a doing. <laughs> they need to put somebody in a headlock and batter them. And, uh, and, and why not Burnley? Um, I think I think the, I think the squad need that. I think the players need that. I think um, I think it will. I also think it will be good for for, for the league. I, I'd like to see the cat set amongst the pigeons a wee bit there. You know, it's lovely how everybody's all having their top, their opportunity to dominate, and they're getting chances to sit in top. So um, Liverpool definitely need a win. But if if I was uh, a Liverpool supporter or involved with that Liverpool squad tonight, I'd, I tell you what, I'd just be going out to to, to try and absolutely batter Burnley black and blue and, and really send a message 
I tell you what, if there was a scrap between managers in the Premier League, I think Sean Dyche versus Jurgen Klopp is worth the pay-per-view money alone because that would be one hell of a tussle between those two. I see what you're saying, JP. Um, Liverpool, though, they're on their worst run in front of goal, Marley, since 2006. Considering how prolific their front three has been, they still have to, <clears throat> they still have the top score in the Premier League this season in Mo Salah, who's got 13 goals, but Mane's only got six. Firmino's got a couple. Yotta, I think, has got five, and he's out injured for six weeks or so. So, you know, it's it's weird that they've all of a sudden gone from being the most prolific team in the Premier League to a side that can't hit a cow's ass with a banjo, as you like to say. <laughs> Is there any reason for that? Um, I tell you what, it must be nice to have a, to be on a goal drought and still have the top scorer in the Premier League at 13 goals. Um, that is a nice problem to have. It's, it's you know, we all know this goal drought isn't going to last for, for Liverpool. They are going to give someone a, a hammering um, at some point. It could be tonight, it could be Burnley. Um, but yeah, I think... You really want it to be Burnley, don't you? Yeah, it'd be quite nice as well. I need, To be fair, I'm in a situation now where I'm looking at the bottom of the league and saying... What do what do Newcastle need in an ideal situation? We could do with Burnley's uh, goal difference taking a at least a minus three because they've got uh, they've got a slightly worse goal difference than us now. But looking back to the actual game, I think you know um, you know what Burnley are going to do. They're gonna they're gonna try and soak up and and hit from free kicks and corners if they can get off the pitch and and what have you launch a ball into the box and cause confusion amongst uh, what is possibly going to be. A, uh, a patched up centre back pairing of Henderson and Fabinho again. I think if you look at Henderson, you're probably saying, does he want to head every ball as much as Chris Wood, and will he win as much as many aerial battles as Chris Wood? Probably not. So they'll be looking at that game and saying, well, can we rough up the centre backs and really, you know, uh, just disrupt them and, and start to to win some success like that? But I think it's a case of Liverpool need to uh, if they score early. I think it'll be. Yeah, I think it'll be a hammering to be honest, because they'll be like, right, finally we've got that, we've got that goal that we needed, um, and we can kick on now and and do some damage here and improve our goal difference at the the tight top end of the table as well. But um, yeah, I think I think it'll be sort of revert to form. I think Liverpool won't have too many problems. Um, tonight, but I think I was looking at the odds before. Burnley are sixteen to one to beat Liverpool, so they're not in that bad a form. Uh, Liverpool, if the with the bookies you've got Burnley at that long odds to uh, to win the game tonight. Yeah, I think maybe that unbeaten Anfield run probably has something to do with that. And the bookies are rarely wrong. They had Sheffield United as favourites against Newcastle, Marley, and we all know what happened in that fixture. Um, <laughs> no, they were right. Yeah, they were right in that well, game. Well, absolutely, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, Liverpool. I mean, talking of favourites then, in terms of odds and stuff, are Liverpool no longer the favourites for the Premier League title, JP? And if that's the case, does that actually suit them? Um, I, I certainly don't think they are favourites for the title anymore. Between you know United, City, Liverpool, um, it's probably you know you'd struggle to get a piece of paper between them right now. Um, and I certainly wouldn't mm. like to, to to put any money on who will who will emerge on top. Brilliant for us watching, um, but does it suit them? <sighs> No, I, I don't think it does. Um, I, I, I think that uh, I think that Klopp and the, the the players and the mentality of that Liverpool side are quite comfortable being on top and expected to win. You know, I don't mm. think they see that as additional pressure. I think they see it as validation <laughs> of how good they see themselves. Yeah. Um, at, you know, uh, at, you, you'll probably laugh there when I was about to say, certainly when I played um, Dundee United when we were top of the league. Um, but it's <laughs> when I played at whatever level I always enjoyed being uh, on top wheels chasing you you know I enjoyed the expectation I thrived on that and and I always find it surprising when professional athletes and professional sports people would rather have that scenario so um, if you give a lot of people the choice I think they would prefer the pressure of being on top and expected to be favourites um, but uh, I, you know all it take a couple of wins and, and they'll probably be back up there Pressure's a funny old thing. Liverpool versus Burnley tonight in the Premier League is the only game that takes place. Of course, loads of games uh, taking place over the next few weeks and months as well because the Premier League schedule backlogged as anything due to the five-week uh, gap in the season that we need to make up considering the extension of last campaign due to Project Restart. It's FA Cup games this weekend for some of our Premier League clubs too, so loads of action to keep yourself across and you can do all of that on our website, sport-social.co. 
www.sportsgrid.co.uk. And also on the website, you can check out the latest Premier League transfer news and gossip. And we'll be talking about exactly that next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to the podcast. Time for the final bit of today's show. And we're talking transfers because, of course, it is the January window and there is just 10 days to go until the window closes. I'm going to try not to say the words slam shut for the next 10 days, Um, but I'm off to a good start so far. Uh, Where we're going to begin is a side we've already discussed today, Aston Villa. Now, we've been impressed with Aston Villa this season here on the podcast and impressed with them last night, despite their 2-0 defeat to Man City. But any good side who wants to improve will need to make signings, and that's what they want to do in the January window with the acquisition of Marseille midfielder Morgan Sanson. Now, this one looked like it was going well until recently, the last 12 hours or so, reports have emerged from France suggesting that Aston Villa's bid of around 15 million quid for Marseille's Morgan Sanson quite simply isn't going to cut the mustard, and Marseille aren't going to sell him for that sort of price. Is that much of a surprise to you, Marley? Sanson, for those who don't know about him, 26-year-old, French international, quite important to Marseille, uh, is impressed in recent seasons. Premier League clubs, as European sides fully well know, have the most money of any sides in the European football scene. Aston Villa offering 15 million. Uh, I'm not surprised that Marseille have turned their nose up at it. Yeah, I think um, I seen the other day that um, Villas Boas, the Marseille manager, said that um, the first bid that came in for for Sanson from Villa was um was pathetic and embarrassing and like embarrassingly low. I think it was somewhat like nine million or something. So Villa <laughs> trying to steal uh, steal themselves because I think Marseille's finances are a bit uh, all over the place or have been in the last few years anyway. But um Sanson Sanson's a good player. Is a very technically good player. Similar sort of to do you remember when Kabai was very good for Newcastle all them years ago? I think he's a similar type of player, like box to box, got great quality with his passing and likes uh, can stick his foot in and tackle. And he'll bring something else to that Villa um, Villa midfield. I think he's almost like a um, a couple of levels above a John McGinn. Sorry, JP, but um, <laughs> he's uh, is slightly above him in terms of his his quality and what he brings you. So. I'm I'm surprised at 15 million because 15 million these days is is nothing. It's you know if you go back a few years, you're probably getting uh, 15 million now is probably like five million back then with the yeah. with the uh, the inflation type of uh, fees you get in these days. But if they, can... I definitely think 20 million gets you an average player these days, and 40 million gets you a good player. Yeah. That that would be my markers yeah. for it. Uh, not if you not if you sign Joel Linton, but I do take your point in <laughs> in the wider the wider case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a potential bargain. Fifteen millions, nothing, as you say. You know, you can sell, you know, a, a squad player for that much these days if you're in the Premier League. If you're uh, if you're good, with, you know, if you have got your wits about you. So, I think if they can, if they can bring in Sanson, it's starting to prove that Villa can attract a few more, um, mm. a few more sort of higher profile players. They've signed Bertrand Traore, so they're clearly looking at France and saying. You know they haven't got as much money knocking around their league. Their players are a little bit cheaper than elsewhere. Um, the signed Traore, he's been a pretty much a, a success. Um, and yeah, they've um, they're gonna go for Sanson. It looks like they'll get him from from all accounts as well. Mm. Um, and I think he's a good signing for them. Still a few days to go, as we've mentioned before. So room to wriggle in this move for Aston Villa. Sorry to put you on the spot here, John Paul, but what's the Scottish transfer record. Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, in or out? <laughs> uh, I think the, the, the transfer record paid for a player um, is nine million um, for uh, Odson Edward, um, uh, which Celtic uh, paid a couple of seasons ago. Out. I mm. think the biggest transfer out. Uh, uh, is it Tierney? Would it be Tierney to Arsenal? It's either got to be Tierney to Arsenal or Van Dyke to. I can't remember what Van Dyke went to. Uh, went to Southampton that for, but I think it probably is Tierney to Arsenal. Yeah, just off the top of my mm. head. Um, it's got got to be got to be. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking in terms of those fees. It, uh, there's no disrespect to the Scottish league, but I mean, and Kieran Tierney's a very good player. 
25 million pounds for him I would say Kieran Tierney's a good player so 15 million to offer that for a French international considering they are the current World Cup holders and European champions I can understand why Marseille have probably looked at that and gone <laughs> no thanks Villa uh, we'll keep an eye on that one and of course you can keep an eye on it too on the sport-social.co.uk website we've got articles on this story as well as a rolling transfer blog that you can keep an eye across as well if you just want to flick through and keep up to date with the latest top flight transfer gossip this one's a done deal that we're going to talk about next. It comes from Crystal Palace, who have signed Jean-Philippe Mateta from Mainz. Surely that means Christian Benteke's a goner. It's an 18-month loan deal with a £13 million obligation to buy. I personally think when you've got a loan deal for 18 months, it's almost guaranteed that you're going to buy the player. You basically have anyway. Um, that The Benteke conundrum in this situation, JP, is what's interesting me. Uh, I mean, Mateta is 23 years old. He's a young player. We know Crystal Palace have tried to sign young talent in recent windows. I'm thinking Nathan Ferguson and Eberetche Eze, uh, to name just two. But up front, they've had real problems this season. Jordan Ayew scored just one goal. Christian Benteke hasn't been very good at all in the two or three years or maybe even more than that he's been at Crystal Palace and Michi Batshuayi can't get a game and hasn't scored since he's arrived back at Selhurst Park on loan from Chelsea so they needed to do something Crystal Palace in the transfer window and they'll be hoping that Mateta can offer it to them Yeah, I don't know a lot about him but it certainly seems to uh, to make sense um, I mean, Benteke how, how is he still a thing? You know? Um, it's just uh, year after year. I'm stunned how he's lasted so long at Palace, JP. I really amazing. Am. It's just year after year after year of underachievement um, across his career. Really frustrating uh, for somebody with uh, as many assets as he had. But this this looks on paper like a good a good uh, a good signing. You know, ten goals in seventeen games. I think this season the, the guy's got for a club Mainz which, who are who are struggling um, uh, and, and kind of battling relegation in France, 23 years old, looks like he's got power and pace and all the rest of it. So um, again, you know, as <laughs> as, as chairmen uh, often do, they, uh, they, they they say that they've been been monitoring a player's career for some time uh, rather than just happen to have him recommended by an agent at any point, um, which Palace are claiming. So it certainly looks like a good move. Um, and if you... Uh, if he can adapt quickly and, and, and get himself settled into that team, then surely he's got to provide a better option than the, anything they currently have. Yeah, Christian Benteke out of contract in the summer. I'll be perfectly honest, I can't see him sticking around at Selhurst Park uh, for next season. Final one we're going to talk about on today's podcast, probably the biggest transfer rumour uh, of the window so far, revolves around Southampton striker Danny Ings. He's on the radar of Tottenham Hotspur, as he was in the summer. Apparently Spurs allegedly made a, a, a tentative inquiry, let's just say, about Danny Ings' availability in the summer. He's obviously a Southampton supporter, Danny Ings. He grew up in the local area. He's playing the best football of his career under Ralph Hasenhurtl down on the south coast. However, Southampton are keen to offer him a new deal and make him their highest paid player of all time. But in Signing that deal, Danny Ings also would be signing a quite high and hefty release clause. And I think that he's concerned about that. At least this is what the reports are suggesting. Danny Ings is concerned about signing that contract, not because of the money, obviously, but because of the release clause, which means that could scupper any potential move to play at the highest level. It's reported that Ings wants to play at the top level of the European game, whether that's for a big European club or a Champions League side, I'm not too sure. But definitely... He is concerned about putting pen to paper on the new deal, Marley, because of the release clause. Now, interesting that a player is aware of that and isn't willing to sign a new bumper mega money a week contract just in case another side does come in for him. And having heard this news, Tottenham Hotspur are supposedly keeping tabs on the situation. Yeah, I think, um, you know, he's he's done well enough to, to warrant having another crack at a top club. Um, you know, who's playing in Europe in some form? Um, I I quite liked how Hasenhutl played this situation. You know, when this this broke and it was like Danny Ings wants to play for a Champions League club. What do you think about this, Ralph? And Hasenhutl said, "Well, if he scores ten or twelve more goals, we can get to the Champions League ourselves." Um, and it was kind of a I know it's like a bit tongue in cheek, but it's building. I think it, I just think he he handled it really well. Um, and said, well, you know, why don't you stay here? Because we're doing really well at the minute. Um, but I think with Ings, he's ambitious. He wants to. He wants to take his chances. He, I think he's probably aware that he's 
he, he's, you know, he's probably got one big move left in him if there's a willing buyer. Um, Spurs is a strange one because you you aren't going to play every week. Um, if you know if 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 Spurs are two one up, they're not going to take Kane off and put Ings on because yeah. you know then they're never going to take Harry Kane off unless they're you know like two goals clear with twenty minutes to go. Then they might put you on. You're going to play every week in the Europa League. That's fine, but. You know, we said we said this in the summer, didn't we? The exact same thing, Marley. That if you were Danny Ings, yeah. where you've had the season of your life, the season and a half of your life, why would you leave where you're the talisman, the first choice striker, plenty of chances, bagging plenty of goals, to go and play second fiddle to a player who's pretty much never going to be dropped because he's the captain of the country and he's the captain of Tottenham? It's just it seems a strange move if you know if you think that way. Yeah, I think it it just depends on what Ings wants, doesn't it? I mean, you have to have that in your head you have to know that you're not going to play very much if you go to a team like Spurs um, just because of the quality of competition you, you're kind of hoping that something happens that to let you in the team rather than pushing on um, you know pushing Kane out of the team Ings has Ings has played the best football of his career in the last uh, 18 months two years so and that still wouldn't be enough to get ahead of Kane so you know forget about that so if they did go to if he did go to Spurs, it, it wouldn't change anything, I don't think. But, you know, it, it just depends what he wants things because what will knock him for, for his career is the fact that he was at Liverpool and he, he couldn't get over the knee injuries. And he, I think he feels like his time at a big club was wasted um, because of his injuries and, you know, through no fault of his own, he just couldn't get fit and couldn't show what he, what he could do. And when he did get fit by the time... By the time he did get fit, you know, the the team had moved on. I think you know Klopp had just uh, arrived and had his own uh, sort of idea of what he wanted to do. Never really seen the best of things, and now he mm. he sees the best of it. He's like, right, come on, who wants me now? And the the you know, teams have moved on without him. But I don't know. It's just it just depends on what he wants. Whether he whether that burns in him enough to say, you know, I want another crack at this because. I'm I'm knocking on. I'm getting I'm getting towards my thirties now, and I'll probably start to slow down. But for me, scoring twenty odd goals in a, in a team like Southampton is um, it fits. It's nice. It's you know he's the main man there. He's the sort of the the biggest fish in a small pond. He's putting goals in every week. He's scoring against everyone um, when he's fit. And uh, I I would stay if I was him and just enjoy. Being a, a prolific striker at a, a you know, first team striker at a club trying to get somewhere close to the Europa League um, places. Mm. I'd say that there's an interesting debate to be had, but we'll save it for another podcast on whether Ings might fit into Spurs, considering Harry Kane has almost played in the number 10 role at times this season and whether they might be able to play as a duo. We've not even seen that for England. I think Ings has made like five minutes in terms of, or 20 minutes in terms of minutes for England. So we've not really had a chance to see anything there. But I think that's an interesting debate to be had. But on this whole release clause thing, uh, JP, Marley says that maybe it's just him kind of hedging his bets against the fact that his time at Liverpool was a bit of a dud and he's looking for another chance at another top club. Which side are you taking here? Because as a player, you know that your career is short. You'll know that having played um, at a decent level. You'll know that you know time is precious when you're a footballer and the career is so short that you want to kind of make the most out of it as you possibly can. But at the same time, Southampton as a football club will want to tie down their greatest asset, which is Danny Ings. I mean, goals are currency in this game and you know it's hard to pick a side in terms of who you're kind of uh, are rooting for in this situation. Yeah, it's... I recently watched the... Yeah, I don't know if you managed to see it, but the uh, you know the, the the I think it was BBC documentary with David Ginola talking to uh, John Mark Bosman, and sort of about the change that in, in player power that they all that, that that court case mm. resulted in, and how he really didn't benefit from it, and how his life really fell apart afterwards, and all the rest of it. But yeah. um, just aside, it's it's really interesting how obviously that 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 power dynamic has shifted. Um, I remember <laughs> again just um, harking back to Dundee United days. We would sign you would you would sign a four year contract with a four year option on the end of that contract but it wasn't your option it was entirely the club's option whether that was taken up or not mm. so they and if they didn't take it up with you they could stop you signing for other people so I think it's a bit rich in, in, in the modern day era when clubs who utterly abused the, the, the their privilege in the contracts that they had footballers on for so many years uh, now all of a sudden feel as if they're being hard done to because the power dynamic has shifted so I'm always uh, uh, 
tend to side as long as the player is acting professionally and and, and ethically and, and and with standards. Uh, I'll always kind of tend to, to to side with the player in these things because uh, you know we talk about loyalty, we talk about investment, and all the things that have all gone in from clubs. But listen, if, if you weren't uh, making them uh, bucket loads of cash and loads of points and scoring loads of goals, loyalty doesn't exist. Mm. It's a cutthroat business. They're in it for a short period of time, and uh, like any other employee anywhere in the world, you're entitled once you have served the terms of your contract to go and. Uh, employ your trade anywhere that will result in the best lifestyle for you and your family so mm. I tend to always come down on the side of the player as long as the player is uh, is fulfilling his obligations and his duties as Danny Ings is you know he's not uh, this isn't a mess at all situation or there's something kind of untoward taking place he's doing his job he's doing really well um, I hope he gets the, I, you know, it'd be nice to see him try that at a big club but I think Marley makes a really really interesting point in that uh, big fish and small pond it's a it's, it's a kind of well known um, uh, kind of um, I, I, I suppose psychological phenomenon that that, that happens uh, primarily, believe it or not, in in American uh, Ivy League universities, mm. where uh, people tend to people who are really high achievers through their life go to these Ivy League unis, and and the fallout rate and their chosen majors is absolutely astronomical because. Um, they are. They have spent so much of their life as the big fish in the small pond that being just another fish in a much bigger pond isn't suited. And we've seen that happen to so many players over the years. So yeah, I, I, I would. I, I certainly, if I was Danny Ings, I wouldn't be rushing things. But I could certainly, if he decided to stay at Southampton and see his career out there, or maybe not see his career out there, but be the main man. Um, I don't think uh, it would. It would necessarily denote a lack of ambition. Mm. Um, it's just that he understands where he's going to be happy you know psychologically a really interesting decision to be made by Danny Ings in regards to a Southampton contract do you sign it and get six figures a week in your salary or do you sit tight let the contract expire and possibly hope for another club to swoop in and take you away for another opportunity Hmm. interesting stuff we'll talk about more transfers of course on the website sport-social.co.uk and throughout the podcast for the rest of the month of January but as for today that's it for the show thanks very much Marley Cheers, guys. Thank you. Nice one, JP. Appreciate your time. My pleasure, mate. Can I just come back in very quickly? Because I wanted to check that when you asked about the record Scottish transfers. <laughs> okay, go on. I, I, can't let I, it go. You are right. I can't, mate. I can't. But uh, Kieran Tierney is indeed the highest transfer uh, fee received, £25 million from Arsenal. Uh, but it wasn't odds on Edward. Uh, the £9 million Celtic paid PSG in 2018 is the record transfer fee paid. It was Rangers in 2000 paid Chelsea £12 million for Tory Andrew Flo. <laughs> oh, and that, my friends, back in 2000, paying, it was decisions like that that led to them going bust, cheating the tax man and the <laughs> Maybe I'll have to get that bleeper out again, JP, and bleep that last section out. Who knows? Tory Andre Flo, a FIFA 99 legend at Chelsea, along with uh, Laudrup and Kazaragi. What a trio they right. were uh, in the Chelsea ranks. That's it for today's Football Social Daily. We'll catch you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social.